Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. So before we get started today, I wanted to let you know that I'm currently off on annual leave. So one of my goals this year was to take more time off or to take time off full stop because my habit has been to work right until Christmas every year. So this year is all about pacing. And so I'm not recording new episodes. The episode you're hearing today is a replay of a past episode. And as it's IBS Awareness Month, and because so many of us with endo have IBS, I wanted to share with you my most foundational, actionable, and informative episodes on the endo belly, IBS, and SIBO. So every week, you'll get two episodes on this theme to help raise awareness and to provide you with some actions. Now, because these episodes are old, I may not refer to some of the resources I provide on the Underbelly. So I wanted to remind you of the services that I do provide and the resources I do provide so that you know where to go if you want to get kind of more information after you've listened to an episode. So to start with, I have plenty of other episodes on the Underbelly. I have a course that's actually called the Endobelly course, which is specifically for anyone with endo who really struggles with IBS, endobelly or SIBO. That's not out right now. It will be later on this year. I also work with one-to-one clients, especially those with endobelly or SIBO. And I have lots and lots of free articles on endometriosis news and endometriosis net about these topics. And of course, I also have my Instagram account, which is chock full of SIBO and endobelly info for those of you, you know, who want to kind of learn like little bits here and there. I've got lots of Instagram lives on there. I've got videos, I've got reels, I've got posts. So there's so much information there. And lastly, if you feel like you need a little bit of extra support, I'm currently running a free endobelly challenge. So you get an email every Monday with some endo belly information and an action tip, action step to help you manage your endo belly symptoms. 
The challenge ends on April 18th, but if you sign up before May the 2nd, you'll still be able to access all of the challenge and catch up with all of the emails. And for anyone who takes part, you'll also be invited to a private free Q&A call with me at the start of May, where you'll get to ask me all of your endo belly questions and any questions that came up for you as you did the challenge. Okay, so I hope those resources are helpful and I hope that this episode is helpful. So without further ado, let's get to it. So today's episode is um, part three of understanding the endo belly. And originally I was going to do an episode that was kind of covering um, some of the common conditions that can come with endo and having like gut health problems. So SIBO, leaky gut, food intolerances, um, things like that, gut and bacterial gut bacterial imbalance um but actually I thought I would just dive in with SIBO because and then do the others separately or in like a a shorter episode together because SIBO is such a tricky subject and also it's so common in the endo community having endometriosis is a risk factor for endometriosis um, is a risk factor for developing SIBO and um, I'm just seeing it in my clients again and again. It's such a, um, I mean, I, I just had my, I just did my test and waited for my results and myself and four of my other clients did their tests. Um, I'm just seeing it more and more. So yeah, I thought I would, and I've done like some Instagram posts for you guys and I want to do more on that um, series of IG posts but um as you know I haven't had much time to post much on Instagram lately um but yeah I thought I would dive in to today into SIBO today and give you more detail than that than is in the IG posts so today I'm going over what SIBO is the symptoms of SIBO and um some of the causes It's a really big topic and I want to have a couple of experts come on to chat about it further and I'm also going to do a following episode on the testing and treatment of SIBO because otherwise it's just a lot for one session. One session, one episode. So let's start with what SIBO is. SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and It's very common, as I said, in people with endometriosis, but it's actually pretty common in general. Um, And it's when normal bacteria and um, another microorganism called archaea build up in the small intestine and it's not supposed to be there. So bacteria and archaea should be in the large intestine. That's normal. And they should be in certain quantities. So when they're in like the wrong, incorrect ratios, um, then that's when you have something like bacterial imbalance. The bacteria is imbalanced, it's not the right ratios. But when it's SIBO, it means that bacteria that should be in the large intestine has moved up somehow into the small intestine or has accumulated there somehow, not necessarily always moved up, but it hasn't moved down. And this is really relevant because um, if you remember from episode, uh, I think part one and part two of um, the endo belly, in one of them, I talk about the order of the gut and the small intestine is where the absorption of your nutrients happens. So this is really important for your overall health, basically. And with SIBO, what can happen is that it damages the function and structure of the small intestine 
And because it's competing with us for our food, it ends up causing nutrient absorption, uh, malabsorption. So we're not getting our nutrients properly. And so that this bacteria, if you think about what happens when you're making like a sourdough starter, that bacteria creates gas, right? And you see those bubbles. So that's what's happening in your small intestine with SIBO. The bacteria eat our food. They eat the food that comes in and they eat carbohydrates predominantly. And then they produce gas. And it's, the process is called fermentation. And that gas accumulates in the stomach and often accumulates at a rate that our body can't get rid of it at. So we end up having that big, distended, bloated belly. Now, SIBO is um, actually the cause of IBS in up to 60 to 70% of patients. And I think this is so interesting because... So many of us have been diagnosed with IBS with endometriosis or misdiagnosed with IBS with endometriosis. And I think we're often, we get the diagnosis of endo and we're like, okay, now I know what the endo belly is. And I know why I've got the IBS. It's because I've got endo, but actually there could be SIBO going on as well as endo, which is very likely because endometriosis is a risk factor for developing SIBO. So if you've been diagnosed with IBS, you know, you've got an up to 70% chance that SIBO is the cause of your IBS. So um, definitely like, you know, take notes on this and talk to your doctor about it. Um, Unfortunately, not all doctors are clued up on SIBO, but um, I'll put some links in my show notes on how to get further um, support and, you know, treatment. So um, another thing to, it's worth mentioning is that SIBO is chronic in two thirds of the people who have it um, and is relatively, relatively easy to solve in about a third of cases. But chronic doesn't mean you're always going to be suffering. Okay? So, you know, I've said this before with endo, just because endo is a chronic, um, chronic disease, it doesn't mean that you're always having to suffer with it. You can get to a point where you're having minimal symptoms or no symptoms at all um, and living with the disease. And with SIBO, it's more like that you have to manage it and maybe from time to time it flares up and you have to do a little bit of treatment and then, um, then you know, you can get back on with your life. Um, so... Definitely don't take that chronic diagnosis as this feeling that it's going to be terrible all the time. If you have the endo blow, if you have lots of SIBO symptoms as we go into this, um, it doesn't mean that that's your forever. Um, so there are three types of SIBO, hydrogen type SIBO, methane type SIBO and hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. And what that means is it just means the, the type of gas that the bacteria or archaea produce when they eat. So with, for example, with the hydrogen, hydrogen gas has been produced. Now, the methane type SIBO is actually no longer kind of under the SIBO umbrella um, and has now been diagnosed as it's diagnosed, like labelled as its own kind of condition um, called intestinal methanogen overgrowth or methanogen bloom. Um, But because that's a very recent change, as of, I think, January 2020, I'm keeping it in here. Um, So the general symptoms of SIBO are, um, well, bloating is your number one sign. Uh, So your number one symptom. And often it will get worse as the day goes on, especially towards the evening and at night. 
However, some people with really severe SIBO will just wake up and they've still got that bloating. It's still there. And it's that type of bloating that makes you look like six months pregnant. Um, So this is why it's so tricky because, you know, we have the endo belly and we think it's just endometriosis, but is there more to it? And I think that we should always be questioning that instead of ignoring a symptom and assuming it's something we can't do anything about. I think we should be um, considering, is there another cause behind it? The other symptoms are abdominal pain. Um, often the abdominal pain is felt quite um, high up in the abdomen, but not always. Gas, diarrhea, constipation, food intolerances, and these food intolerances, you can uh, people tend to find they worsen over time. And often people say, I react to everything like I'm reacting all the time. Another symptom is GERD or acid reflux. Feeling sick or feeling your food is in your stomach. I had um, a client who um, was diagnosed with SIBO and she just felt like she always had food sitting in her stomach for like days. And in fact, as I felt my um, symptoms worsening this year post the elimination diet that I did, um, I have noticed I'm losing my appetite after certain foods. Um, I suddenly just feel so full um, and I just, for like days, I don't really want to eat that much and I just eat small amounts. Um, The other feelings are like feeling like your food is not digesting, having burping after meals or just generally throughout the day. Um, Then you can also get other symptoms that are all over the body and this is related to um, the immune response. So when you have SIBO, you tend to also have leaky gut because the SIBO damages the gut lining. So I've talked about this briefly before, and I will go into it more in, um, future episodes, but you know, you've got the, if you think about a sausage, the skin of a sausage is the skin of your gut lining. And on the other side of that skin on the outer side is your immune system. And on the inside is your gut. And so you have food on the inside and the lining of the stomach, the lining of the small intestine is made up of very tightly knitted together cells that don't let anything through except for nutrients. Now, when it becomes damaged, holes start appearing between those cells and things start getting through into the other side where the bloodstream is and the immune system is and the immune system starts reacting so um, bacteria will get through small pieces of food will get through and the immune system will start reacting to that so this is why the worse your leaky gut symptoms get the worse your food intolerances get because your body starts reacting more and more to the foods that are passing through and the immune system has a response it you know it sees this these foods coming through or these bacteria that are coming through as um an attack on the body and so it sets up its defenses including inflammation and inflammatory reactions and because the bloodstream is on the other side this immune reaction just kind of stems through the entire body These immune reactions can result in symptoms such as swelling, rashes, headaches, um, nasal congestion or like a lot of mucus all of a sudden. 
painful joints, swelling of the eyes, an eczema flare-up, a rosacea flare-up. And on top of that, you could also get uh, fatigue, brain fog, which we're all very familiar with, um, depression, anxiety, and weight loss as well. Now, you don't necessarily have to have all of these symptoms to have SIBO at all. Um, really like some of the most common symptoms you're looking for are the bloated stomach, the diarrhea or constipation, um, and general kind of IBS issues. But, um, you know, in some cases it's mainly like the bloating, for example. Now, um, hydrogen sulfide type SIBO comes with a couple of other symptoms. So it's everything I just mentioned, plus tingling or numbness in the hands and feet body pain, and that's often muscular body pain, um, bladder issues, so very much like IC, so, or, you know, actual IC, so pain in the bladder, bladder frequency, bladder, bladder urgency, generally um, feeling just really unwell all the time. Um, and this is rare, but sometimes sulfur smelling gas, um, worsening food intolerances, histamine sensitivity, Sulfur sensitivity, so sulfur, sulf, sulfuric foods would be like eggs, um, broccoli, sprouts, cauliflower, that kind of thing. Um, salicylate sensitivity. Now that's a lot harder to identify because um, salicylates are in so many things, but especially fruit and veg. Um, and going back to the histamine, histamines are like alcohol, um, cheese, dairy, fermented foods, cultured foods, chocolate, coffee, tea. Um, there's others, but those are some of the main ones. And people with hydrogen sulfide type SIBO can also have worsening symptoms after having a Epsom salt bath because that actually has sulfur in it. Um, and after eating sulfur-containing foods. So that's kind of like your main symptoms but there are some like trademark patterns for these different types of SIBO. For hydrogen type SIBO, this tends to cause diarrhea. Hydrogen sulfide type SIBO can cause diarrhea, but it's also been known to cause constipation. Methane type SIBO tends to cause constipation. Both hydrogen and methane together cause constipation and diarrhea or a mix. Um, methane and hydrogen sulfide can cause either constipation or diarrhea or both and a mix of having all three of those gases could cause constipation diarrhea or both now that pattern isn't like set in stone some people can have uh for example some people can have hydrogen type SIBO and have constipation and not diarrhea it's not set in stone but that's just a general kind of rule of thumb, general guidance. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes.
So when you're looking for SIBO in yourself or as a coach, um, when I'm kind of keeping my eye out for SIBO and I'm considering testing, there are a couple of things to look for. Obviously, clearly we would start the symptoms, um, especially if there's bloating there. But if you have had a blood test or you had some kind of test to look for deficiencies, deficiencies such as low B12, um, iron or ferritin, vitamins A, D, E, K and omega-3 um, can all be a cause of SIBO and also low albumin as well. And this is down to malabsorption. It's not being able to absorb fat properly or proteins and vitamins. So if you get a test and you notice any of these, consider what your symptoms are saying and, and that might be um, you know, SIBO might be behind it. Also, um, fat in stools is really common. So if your fat floats, then you've got, you know, um, fat in your stools that can be difficult to dis- to distinguish from having mucus in your stools, which can come with other gut health issues. Um, but really your stools would be floating if there was fat in them. Um, and then obviously the leaky gut signs that I mentioned. So having like joint pain, um, swelling, um, headaches, rashes, those can cross over with histamine intolerance. But if you have histamine intolerance, then SIBO could be behind that anyway. Another sign would be um, having the associated conditions that come with SIBO. So just like endometriosis, SIBO comes along with some um, common associated conditions. So some of those are interstitial cystitis, psoriasis, which is like that flaky um, skin condition where the skin sort of gets scaly and then flakes off, restless leg syndrome, rosacea, and rheumatoid arthritis. So if you recognize yourself in any of those and you also have the symptoms of SIBO, then I think it could be worth considering getting a test um, or at least, you know, doing a bit more research on it. Because over time, this can cause nutrient absorption problems and you don't want to have extra deficiencies on top of struggling with endometriosis um, and potentially two chronic diseases, having SIBO and endo and then having nutrient absorption issues on top is never going to be fun. Now, um, there are some key causes and it's quite a wide um, list of causes. So I'm going to save some of them for an interview um, with SIBO expert. But for today, I want to talk about some of the like most relevant causes for us, um, you know, within our demographic of people with endometriosis. So endometriosis is a risk factor for SIBO. And the reason why is because if you think about your small intestine, your bacteria, any bacteria that enters should, and any food should be moving through the small intestine and eventually it will get to the large intestine. And we have something called the migrating motor complex. And that is a sort of wave sensation in the small intestine that sweeps through bacteria and food and anything else that might be building up in the in the small intestine. And it sweeps it through to clean it out into the large intestine. 
Now, it isn't the movement that will cause a bowel movement that's different. This is essentially um, my tutor, Alison Seabecker, says it's like the washing up of the small intestine. The migrating motor complex washes up the small intestine and, you know, empties it all out into the large intestine. So we want to have this clear passage to allow the migrating motor complex to work. Because if it doesn't, then you get stagnation, you get this buildup of bacteria, right? The bacteria can't move out of the small intestine. So with endometriosis, because we have adhesions, um, we can tend to develop adhesions around the gut. And the adhesions might attach one piece of the gut to another piece of the gut. And that might create an obstruction or a blockage. So maybe it twists the gut in a funny way, maybe it kinks the gut in a funny way, or maybe there's sort of an endometriosis growth that's sort of like pushing into the gut. So either you get a blockage or you trap the bacteria. So either way, there's this buildup of bacteria. The bacteria either gets trapped in like a little loop that's being formed in the small intestine because of the adhesions, or maybe it's been blocked. Um, and so the bacteria will then build up. The other thing is surgery. Having surgery commonly causes adhesions in the abdomen. And again, just like with endometriosis adhesions, that can then also create the same problems of blocking or trapping the bacteria because the adhesions are sticking the small intestine or the large intestine together, just messing up with the order of the gut. Now, the other things that I think are relevant is um, having low stomach acid or low digestive enzymes. So low stomach acid or low digestive enzymes could cause, there's a bit of debate around it, but could cause um, the bacteria to not be killed off very well. Um, so the stomach acid, one of its roles is to kill off bacteria. Um, and with chronic stress, chronic fatigue or chronic pain, you know, those situations, chronic pain and chronic fatigue will stress the body out and stress depletes stomach acid and digestive enzymes. So as a result, we then have lower in stomach acid, lower in digestive enzymes, and potentially we have bacterial buildup. And going back to the migrated motor complex, the other thing that can actually turn the migrated motor complex off is chronic stress. So I would assume that most of us with endometriosis have experienced some level of chronic stress for some period of time because of our endo. And so this can literally turn the migrated motor complex off, giving bacteria a chance to accumulate in the small intestine. The other thing that turns the migrating motor complex off and is actually the number one cause of SIBO is food poisoning. So the migrating motor complex occurs as a result of nerve and muscle movement. And food poisoning damages that process. It damages the nerves and the muscles and slows down the migrating motor complex. And we can actually test for that. We can actually test to find out whether that's occurred, um, which I'll talk about in the next episode that I do on this. So at least when you are, if you're trying to find your root cause of SIBO, which I suggest that you do, um, so it doesn't reoccur, um, or at least you know how to improve your, you know, your success rate, um, that 
you then know that your migrating motor complex has been compromised and you can put in some practices in place to improve that. Um, the other thing that can slow down the, mi- the migrating motor complex, which I thought I would bring up because I am seeing this, well, firstly, hyperthyroidism is very common and I'm seeing it more with my clients or like the beginnings of hyperthyroidism. So hyperthyroidism can actually slow down the migrating motor complex. So if you suspect you might have thyroid dysfunction or, you know, hyperthyroidism, um, definitely have get that checked out because that could be slowing down your migrating motor complex. So those are really there are so many different risk factors and potential causes of SIBO, but your number one cause is food poisoning. Um, and then adhesions and surgery commonly cause SIBO as well. Obviously endometriosis related to that. Low stomach acid and digestive enzymes, hyperthyroidism and stress, chronic stress turning the migrating motor complex off. Now, you tend to need more than one risk factor for, you know, the um, for it to tip over into causing SIBO. But if the migrating motor complex has been turned off significantly enough, you know, that could be enough to do it. But having something like low stomach acid on its own is unlikely to be strong enough to cause a SIBO. However, I think it would be reasonable to say that if you had like significant enough adhesions in your gut to cause like a really bad blockage or um, create like a loop in your small intestine that creates like this pocket where bacteria can build up, I think that would be, you know, enough itself to um, cause SIBO. So those are your main causes. So just to recap, the symptoms of SIBO, classic symptoms are bloating that gets worse over the day usually, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, gas, burping, acid reflux or GERD, um, food sitting in the stomach, brain fog, fatigue, malabsorption and nutrient deficiencies, um, systemic like body issues, so joint pain, bladder pain, body pain, headaches, histamine, sensitivity, worsening food intolerances um, and sensitivities, generally feeling unwell, sulfur smelling gas, tingling in hands and feet. Um, So there's quite a wide array of symptoms, but you're really looking for those kind of core GI symptoms in the beginning. And of course, you know, be aware of other signs like interstitial cystitis, psoriasis, restless leg syndrome, rosacea and rheumatoid arthritis and for those specific nutrient deficiencies especially like b12 and low ferritin. So that's it for this part of the SIBO episode. I'm so pleased that this is 35 minutes. I've been trying to get my episodes down for ages because um, I know some of you don't love um super long episodes or like hour long episodes. So I'm trying to give more bite-sized episodes. I'd love to hear what you think about that. Um, feel free to DM me and let me know. Um, and so in the next part of this series, I'm going to be talking about um, how to treat SIBO, some of the complications around that and how to test for it as well. And this is all, all amazing 
practice for me because I finished my course in SIBO now and my exam is this Sunday. So um, yeah, this is good practice. If you have any questions about SIBO, feel free to get in touch with me. Um, I've been struggling to get back to people um, quickly at the moment just because it's it's been a really busy period for me. Um, but I will endeavour to get back to you as soon as I can. Um, I hope this episode has been helpful. I would love to hear what you guys um, thought about it. You know, share it on Instagram or get in touch with me or write me a review. Um, just so I know whether these kind of episodes are helpful um, and what else I can do to support you. I hope you have a lovely week and you are staying safe and well and I will speak to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website Um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. (laughs) 